out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I speak with my friend Nikki. Nikki and I cannot recall when and where we connected, but two things are certain. One, the connection happened through our passion for helping people with recovery from addiction. And two, we surely did connect. Nikki works as a recovery business and life coach for herself in Agency Coaching Solutions. You can find her on Facebook, just type in Agency Coaching. She is also associated with Ubuntu Academy. You can find them at www.uact.org.za. A company that does amazing work in the field of addiction coaching, especially in the lower end of the market. Please visit them to make a difference. You can also find more about what Nikki does by visiting the Pocket Rehab Facebook page. Just look in Facebook and type in Pocket Rehab. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Please also look out for information on my new book, Life for Non, a 12-step guide to life for non-addicts. You can find it by following the link from the right of my homepage. It costs 300 rand without postage. Order from me in my shop, which is www.freddyshop.co.za. This is Nikki's story. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Nikki, welcome to Meet Me in the Field. How are you doing? I am fantastic, thank you. It's good to Um, chat to you again. Like in what, three days days apart and here we are face to face on our computer screens again. I know. It's awesome. Technology is amazing. It I'm is. just loving it. Can you remember the days when I don't know how old you are? How are you are you younger or old? You you're definitely younger than me. I'm fifty-three. How many years are uh, younger are you than me? <laughs> so I'm not asking your age. I'm not really You are fifty-three. You are eleven years older than me. I'm forty-two years old, I think, to be okay. honest. I haven't really kept track. <laughs> Of, of the years so for all you know you <laughs> might I'm be 42. you might be 45 <laughs> i might be i might be it's, it's somewhere around there okay yeah. well that that's good enough <laughs> i have to ask my mother how old i am when my birthday comes up yeah can you remember when we were children well we were definitely but we used to watch sci-fi movies and they had these telephone conversations where you could see the other person you're speaking to and it's like wow look at that shit man Yes. And here we are. Yes. You and I are sitting on yes. complete different ends of the Cape Peninsula and we're having a conversation totally. where I can see you sitting behind your desk. So I know. I was, it's I was amazing. Trying, yeah, it is quite amazing. Huh? I was trying to remember where do we know each other from? Can you remember? Yes. <laughs> That's a very good question. Was it when we worked for... for did the same type of job for two different companies that we connected somehow on, on that level? 
or was it when you moved away and started with UACT that we started connecting? Um, I think I think I was kind of doing both. I was playing in both roles at the okay. time. And we were setting up, well, we were, you know, setting up training in Cape Town. We were doing, we were trying to set up UACT in Cape Town. Yeah. And I think, no, it must have been before you started the whole recovery festival thing. It's way before that. Because you and Tia came to visit me one day. But we knew each other long before yes. then already. So anyway, so it, it, let's just say the universe brought us together. So for in some totally. other way. So 100%. You, that's exactly <laughs> what it's about. Are you from Cape Town? I'm originally from Johannesburg, believe it or not. Oh. Back in the day when it was still farmland. I was one of those blessed children that grew up on a farm in Ravonia, Sunning Hill Park. I and all I knew was, you know, huge, long, vast, open land and horses and cows and sheep. And, you know, I used to go play down by the river there. Oh I mean, I was God. a complete tomboy. Well, tom girl, should I say. Yeah. I spent most of my life up until when we moved to Cape Town, you know, outside. Yeah, and if I look back now and I think where Joburg is, how it's yeah. evolved, it's quite a shock. It really is quite a shock. Sunning Hill is where ESCOM head office is, am I correct? Cor correct. Me Megawatt Park or, or somewhere around there. Do you know the Sunning Hill Park Hospital? No, I don't. What I do remember is I used to date okay. a guy that lived in Sunning Hill and we still jokingly called it Stunning Hill. <laughs> oh, I'm going to <laughs> Stunning <laughs> I'm going to Stunning Hill, darling. And I remember that I drove past Megawatt yeah. what Park on my way to to see this dude. Okay. So Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was it was horse land then. Everybody amazing. all my neighbors had horses. And okay. I mean, you know. So yeah. that's all I, I remember of my, of my childhood. I mean, amongst other things, but yeah. it was like that. Awesome. You know? Yeah. And how old were you when it. you moved to Cape Town? I was around about 10 years old okay. um, when I moved to, to Cape Town. Um, I think that was a very traumatic move for me in many, you know, in many respects, yeah. um, purely because as a child, I had all the freedom in the world and being like, you know, very outdoorsy and adventurous, et cetera. And then having to move to Cape Town to a very small property, you know, high walls and fences, et cetera. <laughs> oh so it was God. quite a shock. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. So that, 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 that is definitely a culture shock, eh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So how did you adapt? Sure. Was it really difficult for you? Well, you called it traumatic, so it must have been really difficult for you. Well, yes, I think that was, um, you know, um, the start of a, a real battle for me, yeah. I think. You know, I think that was definitely a turning point in my life at the age of 10 years old, okay. um, where things just sort of uh, started, yeah, derailing, if you want to call it. I don't know. Yeah. Because I was very constricted. I was very confined. It was a new, totally new world. It's, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and I had to adapt. Yeah. And that was quite hard for me to do with my wild spirit. I you know? Knew. 
<laughs> you want to call it that? <laughs> you, 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 could, you could sing to Joburg, wild horses could not drag me away from you. And the next minute you're sitting confined in a confined space in Cape Town. Are you, are you one of many children or, or, or how many children are you? I'm the youngest of three and okay. they're all girls. So, mm. yeah, I mean, we, we are family predominantly made out of women. I think there's about three, three males in the family. Oh, so, wow. yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Not in my immediate family, in my yeah. whole family. Oh, my God. You know, we're quite a big family. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm also a mother of a 13 year old boy. So, you ah. know, he's, prob- he's, yeah. Yeah, so 13 you know, year old boy, one carry little on the name. raging hormone running around your house. Ooh, <laughs> rather you than me, young yeah. lady. <laughs> so, did, did, did you well, grow I mean, up if a I good... had to compare my hey, if you want to go, if you have to compare your, <laughs> if I had to compare myself to how I was when I was 13, to how he, he is, I mean, it's, you can't compare. I mean, he's ah. an absolute angel compared to me. Totally. <laughs> absolute angel. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm very happy to hear <laughs> that. <laughs> me too. I'm also very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So did you grow up a Christian girl or any form of spirituality? You know, not really. Um, you know, I, I'm Anglican by, uh, I guess, by by association. Okay. Or you know, my family was uh, Anglican, but we didn't. We we're not practicing. It, okay. It's not like something that we did every Sunday. We might go to church on you know special occasions, etc. Um, and I really feel that was something that was missing in my life a lot um, because spirituality does tend to ground one. And, um, yeah, so I guess when I think about that, that was something, you know, really missing. And I ended up spending many, many years searching and seeking various different forms of, of, you know, religion or spirituality, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I just went on a seeking mission Um, and I actually think I've come, yeah, I think I've come full circle. Um, I call myself a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I also believe in many, many forms of spirituality. Okay. So I'm, I'm one of those that I can't really place myself in that. But you have in, found some form of know, grounding that works for you. Definitely. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, you could probably call me spiritual. I think, you know, um, I use various techniques of grounding meditation. I use, um, I'm very, I'm very connected to the Native American Indian ways. Oh, cool. Um, you know, a lot of my family live in Canada. So I've always been very, uh, well, it resonates with me the way that okay. they, they do things and the way that they approach life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So it depends on, on what I need, really, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. So you, you can pull from, from many sources, which is nice. You have a whole massive toolbox and you just open it and say, okay, so, so, so what is there? So a question that pops into my head. That's is- it. When I hear three girls in one household, the picture that mm. comes to my head is not really one of calm, serenity, love, acceptance, understanding, and support. <laughs> 
is it all pig? those Am beautiful spiritual <laughs> principles? Oh no, that didn't exist at all. <laughs> so, so the picture of my head's cool. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, we talk about jealousy, we talk about envy, we talk about <laughs> competition. You know, it was rough. It was tough. And I can imagine, uh, huh? Yeah, there was, yeah, I mean, you know, the three girls, the, the, the middle one was always the, the, the peacemaker in the family. My older sister and I never got on. We never saw eye to eye, and it's a continual thing. How much um, difference I is there in age learned. between you guys? We're two years apart. Oh, God, yeah. We're each two years apart. Yeah, I grew up in a house where we are apart, yeah. four children, and all of us about two years apart as well. It's a difficult sure. set up to grow. And okay. my two sisters, they are the two oldest ones. And when they were teenagers, they yes. weren't allowed to talk to each other. Because the minute they opened their mouth sure. to each other, it was a fight. <laughs> so there was just a rule kind of, if you can't... Sounds familiar. If you can't engage like, like humans, then you don't engage. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, it sounds familiar, I must say. Oh my I word. think as we get older, we just learn to... To accept the fact that we're just never gonna, we're never gonna see eye to eye. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a lovely phase in life to discover that it's not blood that makes us family. Mm. There, there's vast, vast amount of other factors in life that connect me far closer to people than than the blood I share with people, and that that for me was an absolutely amazing place to to, to get absolutely and especially when you're looking at you know your family as much as the love is there and as much as the unconditional love is there you know um we do find and i found for myself that you know there were unmet needs there um unmet needs Mm. that that you know i wasn't fulfilled you are using um, huge words unconditional (laughs) love unmet (laughs) needs oof Awesome. I love that shit. Sorry, that's my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my flipping training coming out, you know. Exactly. So do you believe in the concept of unconditional love? You know, there is definitely a a thread, I think, that runs through a family, an immediate family, and it's a deeper kind of connection. Um but a lot of, like I say, that connection could be quite toxic as well as, you know, yeah. quite healthy. It really just depends on the situation. So when we talk about unconditional love, I mean, you know, we rely on our parents to, you know, to guide us and to protect us and to, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully give us or teach us the, the tools so that we may go out into the world and, you know, become the best that we can be. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of us, and I say us because I'm a parent myself, ah. we don't really live up to that expectation because we, we're struggling and trying to navigate this o- our own worlds as yeah. it is and carrying a lot of baggage within myself as it is. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. There's a kind of expectation of being a parent that um, I think we put on ourselves and society puts on us and... You know, it's hard for us to kind of be authentic and real and vulnerable when you're a parent because there's this belief that we've got to go out there and be this perfect flippant human being, mm. you know. And also, you know, that, that, that whole aspect of, of task orientation. Oh, God, 
<laughs> I'm getting so so worked up. I'm hitting the microphone. Oh, you can't see the <laughs> mic, can you? There's a there's a huge microphone no. standing in front of me. You you really triggered some interesting thoughts there, because I think I think as a parent, the the, the feeling of unconditional love is there, but then. Mm. The whole concept of task orientation comes in, in terms of, I need to get mm. this child through school. I need to get them through university. I need to, to work. I need to butter, 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 butter. And, and we kind of lose the ability to show love in an unconditional way. That, because I know as a child, Absolutely. as a 53 year old adult, I know that I was loved unconditionally, but the, the love that mm. I felt mm. as a child was everything but unconditional mm, mm, exactly and, and that feeling my perception of the love fucked me up six love it took me to some very yes. fucked up places in, in my life you know? so, yes yes because <laughs> i'm the youngest sure. of four so so in terms of of, of task orientation now I, but the feeling that i got was just you know just another fucking kind but during school I was just the, the, the afterthought type of it in, in, the, in, in the way I, yes. I, I thought of as a, as a child. And I think as youngest children, a lot of us see it that way. Yes, we, we just the For sure. Yeah. For sure. And especially being the youngest child, mm. you know. I mean, I was kind of left to my own devices. I think at that point, you know, uh, my parents had had two, two kids, you know, before me. So... You know, maybe, and I'm just assuming here, they kind of said, oh, well, you know, I've had two kids before me, so just we can do this, like, kind of automatically. We don't really have to pay much attention anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, Which is completely they, wrong in my book, you know? In their books, you, you have an it's auto like switch. A, You're gonna have, this child will, will raise itself. Yeah. Auto on, off you go. You know, kind of, you know my yeah. mother was 24 you know? when she had me, her fourth child. She was 18 when okay. she... I mean, I can't help but think how equipped is a 24-year-old to raise mm. four children? Mm. Oh, my word. Mm. For sure. But in those days, I think it was very different. I yeah. think in those days, the life was very different. Yes, I mean, my mother far... had my, my older sister when she was 19. She yeah. got married when she was 19. Yeah, And then me. after that, it was just like, okay, baby but because that's what it was done Absolutely. because we, we kind of you know society kind of dictated that that's what it was that's what happened you got married you know you went through school you went to university you got married you had kids and you know you you, you the father works and he goes off and makes yeah. a living and the, the mother stays home and looks after the children i mean we were I was raised in a colonial family. So I had a, a, a nanny who raised us, who lived on the property with us and, and a gardener, yeah. you know, um, a houseman or whatever you want to call it. And then they practically raised me. I mean, my parents yeah. were never really around much because they were out trawling and their social life or whatever the case may be, Absolutely. you know? Um, I mean, you were doing so the, just, it was just the way. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, you could call it the previously advantaged, I suppose, because we were. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it. Totally you know? But it, it was just the way that it was in those days. And it's nobody's fault. I think the consciousness from then till now 
our awareness of ourselves and a society that we live in today. I mean, the culture alone has changed. Everything has shifted. Everything is, yeah, there's no comparison. And we can't go around, I can't go around blaming my parents for how they raised me or what they did or whatever the case may be. Have you never? they were just trying to do the best that they could do. Have you never blamed them or, or, or have you never blamed them? Or is this a, a new realization? I, <laughs> I, spent, I spent half my life blaming my parents. Oh, I'm so glad I to hear that. So did I. For, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I awesome. blamed everybody um, for my life. My, I blamed the world. I blamed the government. I blamed society. Um, I blamed my parents, my sisters, uh, my the school system. I mean, you name it. I was blaming everybody but myself. Mm, I was a very, very angry. Yeah. I was a very angry child at one stage. Yeah. Okay. My teenage years. Sure. Yeah. It was, um, see, I was the opposite. I was was compliant. I was overly compliant. So my, my anger started in my twenties. And then it was right. this whole, this whole dichotomy of I'm, I'm an adult, but my needs are kind of childlike mm. because I, I, I didn't mm. in, my, in my teenage mm. years act like a teenager was supposed to. So my teenage um, um, angst and, and anger and all those things came through in my twenties, which was very socially yeah. unacceptable. And I, and I brought it out in socially unacceptable ways as well. Mm. So, when, so, so when, when people tell me their children are so good, and I think, oh my God, I, I hope, I hope they twin, they carry that through to their twenties and thirties as well. <laughs> so, Nikki, yeah, yeah, take us on your journey from an angry teenager to where you are today, committing your life to helping people. Hmm. It was a long, slow process, um, and I, I didn't go down without a fight, you know, because uh, <laughs> somehow, I was... <laughs> somehow I didn't think you would be the type of person that would go no, down. No, no, I won't go down um, with this ship. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I was like very wild, very stubborn, um, very self-righteous. You know, everybody was wrong. I was right. It was me against the world, wow. you know, and my warrior kicked in, like, because uh, there was a lot of issues there. I mean, unmet needs I talk about. I talk about abandonment issues. You know, it wasn't the fact that my parents had abandoned me. They just were never there. And I didn't really receive the discipline that I needed, I guess. And then, uh, so I just developed my own kind of belief system and my own kind of way. And it worked for a while you know, like it does. But obviously the false beliefs that you carry, I carried with me over the years developed into anger and being, like you say, responding to my emotions in a childlike manner because I wasn't able to, I wasn't capable of responding to my emotions in appropriately and, and maturely and in a healthy way because I felt too much. I felt too much of everything. Yes. If it was love, it was like love. It was hate, it was hate, anger, you know, all of these emotions. Just, mm. it was too much. And yeah, I struggled. And also on top of that, my 
school system was very traumatic for me because I have, wasn't able to absorb the, the learning in the way that was, you know, uh, put out to us. You, yeah. Expected of me. I was in, uh, in other words, memorize, to, memorize, 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 purge, 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 done. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was very traumatic to me. And they didn't have such things as like flipping mental health and ADHD and all of those things in yeah. my day. It was like, well, you either learn if you learn, you know, and if you fail, you're stupid. That, absolutely. That, that absolutely. Yeah. And then you've got just another day along your forehead. It was no like gray area. Yeah, there's a stamp, stupid. And of course that fed into my, yeah, that fed into my self-worth and my lack of self-esteem and, you know, it really like fed into my, so the whole, you know, my entire life, that's how I believed myself to be. I was unworthy, undeserving. I, you know, was stupid. I couldn't do anything, fear of failure. You know, all of these false beliefs that I developed over the years. And it was just being affirmed and reaffirmed to me by society, you know? So what did I do? I rebelled. Of course. I, you know, I I told society where to get off. And yeah, that was the start of uh, my raging flipping rampage. Double, double, double muddle finger Um, to the world and off you go. With your, Pretty with, much. With, I with, mean, with I your some... bag of resentments and anger and all those nasty yeah, emotions totally, out into the nasty totally. world. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I was in survival mode completely. Yeah. I was completely flipping in survival mode. I was yeah. like, well, you know what? You know, I'm going to get you before you get me. You know, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Absolutely. And that's how I protected myself. I was wired for protection. I wasn't right, wired for connection. So I was very much a loner. And besides the fact that I moved like schools about seven times in seven years. So that was also just feeding into my low self-worth and unable to connect. No, but I did, I did learn a great skill and that is how to adapt to any kind of environments and um, just learned how to adapt and make friends quickly and you know all of that stuff yeah it got me through i didn't do anything for my connection it didn't do anything for my sense of belonging it didn't do anything for my self-esteem obviously i never felt supported and this just carried on through most of my life so i was like this lone raging warrior And add fuel to the fire, I was introduced to, um, well, I had, I think I had my first beer when I was about nine years old and that changed everything for me. Okay. You know, in the colonial um, family over Christmas, you're allowed to have like a little bit of wine or sherry over Christmas, etc. And that was the tradition. Mm. You know, I do feel that my, I have a history of alcoholism in my family, even though they'll flat out deny it. But anyway, <laughs> This is the thing. And then after that, I think I was about 16 when I realized my school career was just not working out. <laughs> you know, seven schools in seven years. Hello. Yeah. After all that trauma, I just, yeah, I quit. And that was when I really got into some really, yeah, associated with some really bad, dark people. 
got involved in all kinds of nonsense. You know, I was just seeking. I was seeking mm -hmm. for belonging. I was seeking for yeah. connection, but I didn't have the, I didn't have the the tools or the emotional intelligence or, or spiritual or social intelligence to connect. Yeah. So when I Ugh. did connect, it was just for a very short period of time, and then I'd self sabotage and fuck it all up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I and mean. then move on to the next crowd. Mm. And that's how I lived. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I got involved in, in some, yeah, very, very dark places. And it took me, but it also took me to some really amazing flipping experiences. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, love that. Yeah, I got to live on a permaculture farm in the trance. Yeah, oh, wow. guy. Fabulous. You know, I went over to America, I became a river guide. So I've done pretty much, you know, all of this adventure oh, cool. stuff in between. Yeah. So awesome. it wasn't just all flipping doom and gloom. Yeah. I managed to somehow maintain, you know, various jobs. And I kept, I had that fight in me to just keep flipping, you know, getting up yeah. and starting again. Um, Trying again, trying again, trying again, yeah. you know. Awesome. I think that, that, it was that classic thing of it, it's not how many times have. you fall, it's how many times you get up. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's my warrior sort of wild spirit coming yeah. out, you know, that I adapted when I was a child. Because I, I always knew deep down inside of me that I had a purpose, that I had a reason for being here. And that I was, you know, I was meant to flip and make awesome. some sort of an impact. Yeah. Unfortunately, my warped kind of thinking in those days was, um, yeah, it was the, the wrong kind of behavior. Yeah. It was, you know, wasn't what I was supposed to be doing at all. Cool. And then after the sixth rehab, then I suddenly realized, okay, well, something's got to change here. You okay. Know? So, yeah. were you forced into the first five? Why did it not dawn on you after the first one? Well, I think, you know, I, like I said, I'm very stubborn. Um, and, uh, you know, it would, uh, I only, my first rehab that I ever went to, I was only 23, 25 years old. Sorry. Okay. That was my first rehab. No, no, no. Sorry. I lied. My first rehab was when I was 29 because Troy, yeah, Troy was born 29 when I was okay. 29. So I was 29 years old. Yeah. Okay. And that's very late in my book. But like I say, yeah. in my day, you know, the stigma was real. People were really like, they didn't want to admit that there was an issue in the family. People were sweeping things under the rug. They were making excuses and, you know, it was considered like taboo. Um, because a lot of the family members and we're going back to the parents feel that it's my fault and they take on that guilt and shame mm. of their child's suffering, yeah. you know, that they're not doing the best job, that they, they didn't, they did something wrong. Mm. Um, they're in denial about it, you know, yeah. if that makes sense. But yeah, the first one, ugh. you know, each of each one of them, I think had, gave me a lot of learning and gave me a lot of insight, but I wasn't ready to quit. Okay. There was just no way, but all of them now played a part in my recovery. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because so it, it, I'm it, in it, the it belief that one contributed a part of a puzzle. 
and eventually the puzzle came together and okay yes. cool. now, now now i've got the full picture now yes. i can move on nice yes exactly exactly and it was all about flipping finding myself you know i mean yeah. i i got to the point where i was completely broken um broken i was shattered i i was i was a shell of a person you know i got involved in some you know hectic toxic relationships i was uh, in a very abusive relationship for three years before mm -hmm. i actually went into my last rehab and it was like yeah I, I i know what it feels like to be trapped i know what it feels like to have absolutely nothing can't feel anything can't get out nowhere to yeah. go you know all of those feelings fear constant fear mm -hmm. um i identify with that the world is yeah, an unsafe place and, and, yeah i mean the world is yeah i mean yeah. and even with my anger and all of that stuff it's I mean, if I hadn't gone to my last rehab, I don't think I would have been alive today. And okay. that was not due to my addiction either. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, I, my family had disowned me. I had nobody. I couldn't go anywhere. And, you know, you get to a point where you just, you can't think anymore. You, you, you just, I, didn't, I couldn't think. I didn't know. You, I was just a shell. Yeah. I had no feelings left. Mm. I had, you know, I was like a walking, living zombie. Yeah. Oh, sounds awful. I, I think that's a fate worse than death, in yeah. my view. You know. You already did. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You were just walking. You were. You, Pretty you were, much. You were emotionally and spiritually dead. You were. You were just physically alive. That, that, mm. That's what I'm hearing, and I was the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And it was only then that I actually went into my last rehab with like my cup was empty they talk about the cup being empty yeah. and i was able to flip and now start filling it with things that i wanted to fill it with awesome. if that makes sense yeah and that was the transformation that was the new beginning of a new life that i was going to create for myself and for my son you know awesome yeah i wanted to have i wanted to be the mother that you know was needed for my son yeah. and i wanted to show up you know, in the way that I yeah. thought, well, still think that a, a parent should show up. Mm. And that was, uh, that was the start of a very long, very hard <laughs> recovery process. <laughs> but very worthwhile. Also, it seems, it sounds, it but seems. Very, very worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm six years now in sobriety. Awesome. Uh, yeah. That's and fabulous. Yeah, and, and and recovery is not is not a joke. It's it's yeah. it's really really hard. And not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. No, no, and we have to take a. I had to take a real hard look at myself. Yeah, and I really had to decide: is this the kind of person that I want to be? What is going to you know? What is going to serve me and serve my family or my son? You know. Yeah, and that's where the spiritual principles come in. Yes. That's where I started integrating the, the parts of me that have been split from yes. my, you know, addiction, from my traumas, from my constant flipping, you know, yeah. re-traumatizing myself, etc. And I had to reintegrate those parts of me. Yes. And I had to face them. I had to face my fears, my anxiety, mm. my, you know, my false beliefs, all of that stuff. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I love that saying that says yeah. um, 
Nobody said it's going to be easy, but it's definitely worth it. And it's not an easy path. Absolutely. And I, I say so often to people no. in early recovery, guys, remember that early recovery is fucking difficult. Now you, we, yeah. As you say, we are, we are set it in a million little pieces and we are trying to rebuild this puzzle of who we are and, and get the pieces right for the first time in our lives, get the right pieces in the right place. Trying to do this mm. while we're still dealing with all the consequences of all the shit that we've caused and building relationships and saving mm. God knows what and getting out of financial cock. <laughs> it's just finding yeah. a career. For yeah. it's, it's extremely difficult. So I'm I'm very, 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 I'm a big advocate of go slow, go easy, um, but don't stop. Absolutely. And be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you, now you are a recovery coach. Am I correct? Is that what you call yourself? Is that? That's right. I am a professional recovery coach. I have my own practice called Agency Coaching Solutions. But I I am also um, the international uh, training coordinator and facilitator for the Ubuntu Academy of Coaching. So um, I do all the online training. Ubuntu Academy of Coaching and Training. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Which is also pocket rehab. Where pocket rehab coaching also falls under Ubuntu. So I basically head up the the online training for awesome. for them on an international scale. Yeah. Cool. So tell us a little and bit. That's, what what that's does Ubuntu? That's what does Ubuntu do? What does sorry? Ubuntu, what does Ubuntu do? Ubuntu. Ubuntu is an academy that trains up recovery coaches. Okay. Uh, we have a, a, a schools program where, you know, we go out into the schools and we train up, um, you know, school ambassadors and, you know, we train up ambassadors to go out into the world and become peer recovery specialists where we find that the schools are, you know, it's more effective if people their own age support each other in, yeah. in, in recovery, if, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. We also have, yeah. We, we train up recovery coaches all, o- all over the world. Awesome. Um, obviously, the focus is addiction, but the tools and techniques that we teach actually can be used in all areas of your life. It doesn't yeah. have to necessarily mean focusing on addiction. It can be used just yeah. in, in every, every area of your life because it's all about self-awareness. Yeah. It's all about developing mindfulness. It's all about moving from a culture of addiction to a culture of recovery. Yeah. And I don't know if you believe this, but I certainly do. Addiction is, is not just about substance abuse. Addiction can come in all forms. Absolutely. Um, as you know, process addictions mm. and anything that, that yeah. really takes away or, or um, anything that sort of distracts you or has a negative impact on your life can be yeah. termed as an addiction, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's interesting um, what you say, because uh, I've got, a, I've got a, 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 a Facebook live interview this afternoon at four, and the topic is mm. mental health during during kind of this lockdown period, during, during COVID-19, what, what mm. are the tools to mm. help people with mental health? And those are all tools that I learned in recovery. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. 
absolutely yes and and that that's what what that second book of my life and not is about is is kind of Mm. you know in a very short period of time we deal with the with the substance in our recovery after that it is behavioral so so and any i believe that that the tools that we learn in recovery can be addressed in any form of behavior and that's what my second book is about so Quickly, before I forget, and I'm, I was definitely going to forget, is I normally give my guests a bracelet to thank them for being a guest on my show. But because we're in lockdown and I can't get yeah. you, I would like to send you a PDF copy of one of my books. So you can choose whether you That's want a copy of, of my 12-step workbook, um, the first layer, or if you want a PDF copy of Life and None, the 12-step guide for non-addicts. So do you want the your first layer book i bought your first layer book ah cool so i'm going to send send you a copy of life and non i would love that that's that's all yeah i've heard some really good reviews on that and i'm Ah. I'm so proud of you honestly it's takes serious guts and courage to do that and i'm just completely yeah i'm in awe of your Or, or thick, well, thick skin. <laughs> so thick skin, yeah. But I, yeah. I think your passion shines through, and I think that's what drives you. Yeah, that, because that, your passion really, to, to go out and help people, and yeah. you know that's what dri- drives you. you know? And that's what I what and I've your seen passion the, for the twelve steps. And I've seen that same type of passion to help people f- with you, and I think that that's one reason why we connect so well. So, Absolutely. where where can people find you? If they look, if they're looking for recovery coaching, re, re, say, say the name okay. of your company again. It's called Agency Coaching Solutions. Uh-huh. My company used to be called Nerk Solutions, but I've rebranded it now okay. because I'm actually including business coaching too. Oh, cool. It's basically a life recovery and business systemic coaching. That's what I specialize in. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like I say, these tools that we teach can be used in all areas of your life. And it's very effective in organizations and communities who want to, you know, uplift and empower their businesses and their staff. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm expanding. That's, yeah. Um, But you can, you can find me on Pocket Rehab Coaching, which is Uh our Facebook page. We also have, I also have a Facebook page called Agency Coaching Solutions. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, you act Ubuntu Academy of Coaching and Training. Cool. You can also fa- find us on Google or Facebook or whatever. Awesome. And if anybody wants to join, we have lots going on there. Good. You know, um, on the, good, good, on good. the Facebook page. And very excited about, you know, just the future. Yeah. Obviously, this crisis has brought us all together and we're doing what we can, as you know. Um, supporting our communities and organizations out there and the people who are in crisis as it is because recovery coaching is all about as I said it's all about self-discovery it's all about self-awareness and empowering individuals to be able to actually manage themselves and their emotions and giving them the tools so that they can move forward in life they don't have to stay stuck in whatever situation they find themselves in and yeah. whatever it looks like for them yeah you know am i correct if i say that 
if I remember correctly, when we spoke about you act in the beginning, is one of the big things that they do is they're trying to bring the concept of recovery coaching into into your lower end of the spectrum part of society to to make recovery more accessible to far more people. Absolutely, which is a wonderful, I mean, we are a wonderful public... tool. That's that's amazing to get. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I, I so We're a public benefit organization. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we understand that treatment centers are not accessible to everybody. Wow. The private treatment to centers few, are... To I very mean, few people, actually, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, we know what true. happens there. They're overcharged three weeks, you know, and then they have no aftercare. There's no support afterwards. And we know that, you know, the integration into back into society is the most crucial part mm. of the, the, the recovery yeah. process. Um, we're finding that, you know... Not only that, the government sector, the government rehabs are also seriously mismanaged, very understaffed, um, you know, and it's, it's difficult to, mm. to get the proper kind of treatment you need. Yeah. So um, recovery coaching, what we do is we try and improve treatment outcomes. We're not there to take over any kind of treatment or we're not there to kind of, you know, we're not an alternative to treatment. We support treatment outcomes awesome. so we work a lot very closely with psychologists psychiatrists and treatment centers to improve treatment outcomes cool. but our biggest goal is to go out into the uh, impoverished communities and train up people in their own communities where they can go out and set up their own recovery practices and their That's own wonderful. groups yeah. so that you know they can sort of uplift the community recovery to the you know, from the inside yeah. out not from yeah. the outside in I think that's sense. wonderful, yeah. And does you act still have yeah. this thing where somebody can sponsor to take a recovery coach through your, your training? Am I correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And 100%. people will find that information on the you act website, which, which I will put a link to yes. from, from our website. Cool. Because that's yes. amazing. So one person yes. can say kind of, you know, I really want to do something good for the recovery community. And how better to teach that's one right. person in yes. a low income community who can then yes. bring recovery to how many people in their own little practice that I, I think that's such an amazing Absolutely. Concept. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're trying to ad address, you know, the, the economy crisis in this country, we cannot mm. overlook either. So we yeah. do understand that people just can't afford to get the training that they need yeah. in order to go out, you know, and start making a living. So, you know, with our training, this enables people to get the certification and the accreditation they yeah. need so that they can go out and become entrepreneurs, you know, yes. whether it's business, whether it's life or whether it's recovery, yeah. but it also empowers them and expands their thinking to look for solutions mm. rather than focusing on the problem. Yeah. You know, which is, and which that's, is again, that's one of the most fundamental as, recovery as principles that out there. Stop living in the problem, living in the solution for God's sake. Yeah. Nikki, this, that's wonderful, totally. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So ultimately what I'm hearing is that you have moved from an angry, malfunctioning teenager, if I can call it that way, to, totally. to an adult who is taking full responsibility for life, adhering to a set of spiritual principles that I can gather you learned in recovery. And that's what you live mm. on a daily basis to, to, to help a crap load of other people. So what a, what a beautiful Absolutely. journey that is. 
Yes, it's been a hell of a journey, like I say, but it's been one of the most rewarding and the mm. most biggest achievements of my life is being able to recover and get what back what I lost, what addiction yes. took from me and being able to integrate myself, you know, mind, body and soul and become aligned with myself yes. so I may show up in the world and become a productive functioning human being. So I'm able to show up in the roles that, you know, are expected of me. Yeah. And also to go out and help other people who, Amazing, are, yeah. who are also suffering. And there's so many lost individuals. And I'm not Ugh. only just talking about addiction. I'm just yeah. talking about, Ugh. you know, just disconnected from self, mm -hmm. disconnected yeah. from nature, disconnected from the universe or from God or however you want to look at it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Nikki, this was wonderful. Thank you so, so, so very much. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. lovely. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Freddie. And again, thank you for having for yes. hosting me on Friday. And um, you oh, must that's going to happen again, by the way. I am all there. You just you just call out my name and and set the date and time, and I'll be there. Awesome. Look after yourself Beautiful. and have a wonderful Excellent. rest of your Monday and a beautiful week. And keep up the good work. And stay Great. stay safe. And stay healthy. Yes. Spread the love, not the virus. <laughs> Look after yourself. Thank you very much. Bye. You too, Han. Bye. Bye. I had loads of fun talking to Nikki and I'm very grateful for her taking the time to chat to us. I love, love, love her saying that she was wired for protection and not connection. It is that wiring which leads to addiction. And it's for that reason that I believe that connection is the opposite of addiction. If we can stop trying to protect ourselves and work on connection, then our lives will change. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor or on Twitter at at Freddy or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.